Amen. You know, you, you've committed your life to Jesus. You, you know you love Him. You believe in Him. Life seems so right. And then as Sister Hazel would sing, life gets in the way. I mean, you have this collision that happens. You save for retirement, the stock market plunges, and your retirement is gone. You're so excited about living for Christ, you wanted a mate, and you never found one. Or you found that mate as a disciple of Jesus, and they left you. Or you found the mate, and you'd always dreamed, and you knew God was going to bless you with a child, and you find yourself infertile. Or you're in a job that you thought God had given you, and you lose it because they downsize. Or everything's going smoothly until, you know, you go and you hear the C word, and despite the fact you pray about it over and over, it doesn't seem to change. You're serving God, and you're giving your life to God, and then that health issue interrupts it all. Or you've put together this great staff of ministers, and half of them leave. <laughs> and you think, what do I do? Or maybe you memorize Jeremiah 29, 11, everybody's favorite memory verse. For I have plans for you, God says, plans to prosper you and to give you a hope and a future. And you think that's the theme of our life. And then you figure out the theme of your life is what Jesus said. In this world, you will have trouble. And so we have this collision between our faith and when life gets in the way. And we're going to go today to the book of James that talks about this collision as straightforward as any book in the Bible. Have your Bible open up to James chapter 1 or get on your phone or, or follow up here on the screens. And let me just introduce this book by the introduction here, James chapter 1 verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. You, you see, as Jeff introduced us, this book is written by the half-brother of Jesus. The crazy thing is he did not believe in Jesus while he walked the earth. Not until after Jesus appears to him in the resurrection does he come to faith. And now we see him writing one of the first books in the New Testament, and he is humble enough to say, not only do I believe in Jesus, but I'm just his, I'm just his lowly servant. He's writing to the 12 tribes. Well, what does that mean? You remember in Acts chapter 8? To this point, it was pretty cool to be a Christian. And everybody applauded you. In Acts chapter 8, the great persecution. And everybody is spread out. They're, they're, the Christians who started with this innocent, childlike faith are now running for their life. They expected life to be so easy when they followed Jesus. And now they're finding it to be anything but easy and so James, the brother of Jesus, who obviously listened to Jesus more than we thought, begins to write this book with some of the same principles found in Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Let's dive right in. James chapter 1, verse 2. He can say something that at first value seems crazy. Consider it pure joys, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, 
not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. James put it just perfectly. He says, you've got this innocent faith, but now it's colliding with what James calls trials. Now, now let's, talk, let's talk a little bit about how James talks about trials. Trial, he says, when you have trials. Notice he doesn't say, if you have trials. Uh, trials are inevitable in your life. And he doesn't say when you have a trial, he says when you have trials. And he even goes further to say when you have many trials. King James Version, the manifold trials. What that means is you've got trials of all kinds of shapes and colors. In fact, the word there, to face trials, means to find yourself all of a sudden surrounded by trials. It's used by the the man walking down the road, and he falls into the hands of robbers. They're surrounding him. It's used by the book of Acts when someone is cast into the sea, and they're surrounded by the sea. And so he's saying, you're not just having a problem, not just having a trial. You're having trials that are just all on top of you. You ever been there? It just seems like they're coming to you from all different directions. You know, you wake up in the morning, and it's raining outside. You decide to give yourself a break by going through Starbucks, and you get your latte, and you're so mad when you drive off because it's cold. And then you get on Taylor Road, and you're trying to get on I-85, and there's a wreck. And, of course, you absolutely know there's going to be construction And you're riding down the road, you know, and your wife calls and complains because you didn't, you know, squeeze the toothpaste right. And your child's school calls and says, your son left his assignment at home. Will you go back and get it? And all this is going on. Many, many trials. And someone drives beside you and just shoots you. (laughs) Now we're talking about trials, right? So you're in your car all bleeding and someone says... You know what God would say to you, buddy, is consider it great joy when you have many trials. I mean, guys, it seems absolutely crazy that in the midst of this collision between faith and trials, that James throws this word that you ought to have joy. It sounds really weird. In fact, only two groups of people would be able to say that. Number one is just people that are absolutely crazy. You know some of them. They think they're Napoleon. They think they're a coffee mug. I mean, they're certifiably need to be locked up. They just say things that aren't in reality. And those are the people that might say, oh my goodness, I just got shot. Thank you, Lord. The only other people who would say this are people that are followers of God. Who actually believe there's a God who in the long run is in complete control. And a God who even says... I could actually use this ordeal you're going through, this trial, this sickness, to make you a better person. And that's what James is talking about, is that when you give it to God, listen to what he said back in verses 3 and 4. He says, you know, 
You know. What do you know? You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And he says, let perseverance have its complete work, and then you become mature. So let me tell you some things that James promises that you could find in the midst of trials. And therefore, give you a reason to go, you know what? I can be in the midst of this awful thing and still be joyful. Number one, because trials develop perseverance. Perseverance, what's perseverance? It's that stick to that says, I don't give up easy. You see, the problem in our culture is we give up on almost everything too easy. And that's why God lets these trials and tests come in my life so that I might develop strength. For those of you who like to, to, to work out and do weightlifting, it, it, you know that's, that's how it happens. You, you can't just go and lift the same amount of weight over and over and expect to make progress. You've got to up it and up it and up it because for you to gain muscles, what you literally have to do is you've got to, you've got to rip your muscles. You've got to push them to the point where they can't almost do it to the point that they rip, and that's how they get bigger and bigger. In, in, in school, in education, it's the same principle. You know, in kindergarten, they say, you need to learn the 26 letters of the alphabet. And you go, oh my goodness, how could I ever learn that? And then you go to, you know, elementary school, and then you go to middle school, and they say, you've got to write a two-page paper. And you think, two pages, single space? You've got to be kidding me. I could never, ever do that. And you do it. And then you go to high school and they say, you've got to write a a 10-page paper and you've got to list all of these sources and know how to write it that way. And by the time you go to get your doctorate degree, you've got to write a dissertation on something nobody's ever written about before. You you, you see, the principle is we've got to stretch you further and further for you to grow in your knowledge. And what God is saying is for your faith to grow, I've got to stretch you further and further. And that's what trials do. I love this book I heard about. It's called Crazy for the Storm. And it was about an 11-year-old boy who was in a plane crash. He was the only survivor of the crash on the side of a mountain. And it was a blizzard. And he was able to exist and to actually survive and make it off that mountain. And everybody's like, why in the world was it only this 11-year-old boy who could do it? And so they asked him. And he said... When I was seven, my dad threw me in a swimming pool and said, son, you got to swim. When I was eight, he took me on top of a mountain and says, you got to ski down it on your own. When I was nine, he took me where the surf was the highest, where the waves were the most difficult and said, you got to go out on this board and you got to surf it. He said, my dad, like any good dad, had pushed me to my limits. So when life pushed me to the limits, I can now do it. Now, guys, for many of us, even as parents, that sounds crazy because we live in a culture that says comfort's the big deal. You've got to be comfortable. Church has got to be comfortable to you. You don't like it. Your children got to be comfortable, and you're going to do everything you can to make sure they have what you didn't have. And the problem with all of that is that's not the way you grow. You see, number one, when you begin to go through that, it will build perseverance. Number two, it will develop maturity. It will make you a better person. Do you hear that? It will make you a better person. Think about this. Those are the the heroes in our culture. Who are the people we lift up? 
Who are the people we want to follow? Who do we want our children to idolize? It's people who go through horrible things and yet come out better. Who are all beaten up and they do develop a tough exterior, but they keep a soft heart. I think of a man who had his ministry start here in our own city, Martin Luther King Jr. Who could have been more persecuted? He lost his life. More condemned, more sped upon, more put in jails, more mistreated. And yet he never let it make him a hard person. He never said, I'm giving up on nonviolence. For now on, we shoot back. For now on, if someone beats us, we beat them. No, he said, I'm not going to stop following Jesus. I'm not going to st- stop and turn, not turn the other cheek. And even, you know, in the sports world, even if you're not an Alabama fan, you, you, you came to love Jalen Hurts. Because here's a guy, he's good enough to play for a national championship, and the next year he's not good enough to be the starter. And he could have just quit or he could have complained, but he sucked it up and he made it. And then he had that moment in the SEC championship, we go, wow, we'd love to see that. Or the Auburn fans, you know, I've got to keep it even or you'll be mad at me, all right? You know, did you know when Bo Jackson first went to Auburn that he had a terrible time? That he hated it? That he actually had decided to leave? And he's at the bus station? And Pat Dye gets to him before he leaves and quits athletics and talks him into staying? And he endures the difficulty to become one of the greatest stars in American athletics. And then we look around and we even see people in our church. Now think of Junior Bagwell and all he's been through. And we what a soft heart. I look out here and I think about John and Wanda Wright and even what they've been through this past couple weeks. And go, you know what? They just get more and more Christ-like. And you see, that's what James believes that trials can do for us. In fact, this, this little word he uses earlier of God testing your faith. The word was used by silversmiths when they were purifying a precious metal. So here's what they do. They would take the precious metal, they want to purify it, and so they heat it. And when it's heated, the dross, the impurities come to the top, and they skim those off. And then they reheat it, and they come back up, and they skim those off. And they go through this heating process until they get all the impurities out. It's through the fire that they become purified. And the goal of the silversmith is that eventually it will be so pure that he can look at the metal and see the reflection of his face. And God's goal in your life is to melt all the draws off so that eventually he's going to look down into your face and see the very image of God. And the way he does it is through testing and trials. Now, here's a very important point. Number three, trials develop wisdom because they, they call for wisdom. Something I probably should have said in all three of these points is that trials have the potential to develop perseverance and maturity and wisdom. You see, when you undergo a trial, you can become a better person, but we all know that person who went through terrible things and become really bitter. You've got a choice there. They've got potential. And and, and which way that cuts 
is if you come to point, like James says, is in the middle of this trial, you begin to ask for wisdom. You, you know that you've got to have God and how he sees things to be able to endure this. Now, what is wisdom? Let's, let's, let's define wisdom. Wisdom's an understanding of how reality works and the ability to navigate it well. It's being real. See, some Christians try to live in denial. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. Everything's going to be perfect in my life. I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be wealthy. I'm always going to be healthy. Anybody that preaches that to you is not living in, in reality. It, 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 you understand the reality of the way things go, but you also understand there's a God who will give you everything you need to navigate it. In fact, there's a word used twice in our passage. He says, as you go through this perseverance, if you let it have its full effect, if you're willing to walk through it and not abandon God in the middle, it will have its full effect and you will not lack anything. And then that word pops up in the next verse. If any of you is lacking wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously. Why? Because the difference in which way your trials can take you is do you have this wisdom from God, you know what reality is like, and yet you know from God how to work it. You see, the reality is found in the beginning of a famous book called The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck. His first line is this, life is difficult. His second line is this, and the faster you recognize that, the better your life will be. That's reality. That's wisdom. Now listen, wisdom is so different than knowledge. You ever known someone really smart but didn't have what we'd call walking around sense? I mean, you went to school with them, but you're always scared when they got in their car after school because you thought, they'll never make it home. Or you work in a cubicle beside them and they're most brilliant genius at work, but you know you can't even walk in their cubicle. They don't even know how to have a conversation. They've got lots of knowledge, but they don't even know how to balance a checkbook. And what James is saying is knowledge is not enough. What you need is wisdom. The understanding of how reality is and the God-given ability to navigate it. Because, guys, one thing should be true about all of us. You've either had a problem, you're in a problem, or you're going to have a problem. Now, let's look at the last part of our passage today. And I've never put this together before. But it seems to me when we get to verse 9, after he said, pray for wisdom, James actually starts saying some wise things. It's not a disjointed passage. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plants. It blossoms, falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, the person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. In the midst of this, James gives us some really great wisdom. Let me give you these four points to conclude. First of all, wisdom is to know what is temporary and what is eternal. That's why James says if you're really rich, don't get puffed up about it because it's all going to burn up. 
If you're really poor, don't get too worried about it because one day you're going to be rich. Everything on this earth is temporary, but there's a day coming where you will be given the crown of life. Second, wisdom is to not waste opportunities God has given me to grow. I think that's the point of this passage. When you find yourself in the middle of that mess, when troubles are coming to you from all sides, what James is saying is you can either waste it or God can use it. Don't have a wasted trial. In fact, here's the question you always ask. Okay, God, things are not so hot right now. I don't like it. I wish you'd change it. But before you change it, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to teach me? Say that with me. What are you trying to teach me? Let's all say it together. What are you trying to teach me? Because here's what I found out in my life. Often, I go through the same trials over and over again. I fall in the same holes, same mistakes. Why? Because I didn't learn what God was trying to teach me back here. So I'll just do it again. And what God says is what you need to do is you need to stop right here and you need to go, God, teach me now. Don't waste the opportunity. And then the next bit of wisdom is wisdom is to make God my biggest reality. I need wisdom to make God my biggest reality. You see, James is not being pie in the sky, be happy when everything's bad. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is, don't deny that you got problems. Don't act like everything's easy. But in the midst of that, don't let that be your biggest reality. It's not your problem. It's not your addiction. It's not your issue that defines you. It's God who defines you. God is bigger than even your problems. Let me talk to our church just a moment. This is sort of the elephant in the room we really hadn't talked about is we've had a lot of staff turnover the last couple of years. And, you know, we've lost some really good people. And, you know, when I step back, I know they love Landmark, and I know this is the right thing for them. And, and that's good. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. And that doesn't mean that those of us in here go, what's going on? How are, why are these so many people leaving us? And yet, if we see God as a bigger reality... That the work of God in this place is not dependent on any one of us or any group of us. But that God's bigger than that. And just as we've known for decades, God is going to take care of this church. He'll bring the people who need to be here. And this presents the perfect opportunity to do something we've been challenged about for months. Is that we need big jobs for members. And I love the way so many of you are stepping up. In our youth ministry, man, we got Katie who's a bright shining star and great interns that man these guys are on fire and missions ministry we have jimmy dobbs helping us out and so many people the mvt they're making sure this doesn't stop god's got to be our biggest reality and then another point we need the wisdom to know my joy in trials draws people to god Last week, my, my friend Jeremy Kuhn did an incredible job talking about living a missional lifestyle. About, about it being more than just potential, but being reality. And, and let me tell you, when the missional lifestyle hits reality, 
It's when you hit problem after problem after problem. I look at my brother Danny Holmberg, and I think over the last decade, all he's been through, problem after problem after problem. But in the midst of that, his faith has never shined brighter. Because it's the midst of that that we see the difference of someone who has faith and doesn't have faith. You see, a Christian young person loses their girlfriend or boyfriend the same week a non-Christian loses their girlfriend or boyfriend because the world needs to see the difference. A Christian loses their retirement and a non-Christian loses their retirement to see how they handle it. A Christian gets the awful C word of cancer the same week a non-Christian does, and the world is watching. Non-Christians struggle with addictions, so do we. And the world wants to see how we're handling it. Christians lose jobs, non-Christians lose jobs. The question is how we handle it. Christians work for bad bosses, non-Christians work for bad bosses. And everybody in your office is watching to see if you handle it differently. You see, trials are that place where we get to show people that we have a faith that says, you know what? I don't like what's going on. It's not so easy, but it is not the end of the story. Why? Because we know that God can develop perseverance and maturity and wisdom. And one more thing we do, and we're going to do this in just a moment, is we pray. James chapter 1, verse 5 Look at this verse in the middle of it. Here's the command to you. Because I guarantee I'm talking to a bunch of folks with a bunch of problems right now. That's life. What do you do? If any of you lacks wisdom, that's the way you're going to navigate it. You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. He's not trying to nitpick you. And it will be given to you. So in a couple moments, we're going to sing this, what we call a song of invitation. It's just an invitation for you to come to the Lord or for you to come say, I need some prayers. I'm in the midst of some trials, and I'm not handling it very well on my own. I need the church to pray for me that God would give me this wisdom so I can navigate them well. Because in the long run, God can take something so ugly so difficult, so painful, and he can make it beautiful. I see people in this audience, you've lost children. How do you ever get over that? You've gone through terrible pain. And yet the promise of God is that that's not the end of the story. And the promise of God is even before the end of the story, he can use it for something good. I read this amazing statement this week from a quadriparaplegic. In other words, he's, he's paralyzed from the neck down. And he writes this. He says, if I could, I would take this wheelchair to heaven with me. Standing next to my Savior, Jesus Christ, I would say, Lord, do you see this wheelchair? Before you send it to hell, I want to tell you something about it. You were right, Lord, when you said in this world we'd have trouble. There's a lot of trouble in being a completely paralyzed person. But you know what? The weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. The harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. 
I can't believe I'm writing this, but I want to thank you for this wheelchair. It's a bruised blessing. It was a severe mercy. Right now, maybe all you fear is the bruise. Maybe all you feel is the severity of life colliding with faith. But what this man said and what James has said to us today is that bruise can be a blessing. That severity can actually be mercy from God. And in fact, James says the crazy thing that you can only say by faith, that in the midst of this, you can have absolute joy. And so today, if you need to come for the prayers of this church or you're ready to become a Christian, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing?